welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Charlie Morris to discuss all things cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin. Fleet Street Letter Investment Director Charlie Morris is a highly experienced investor. After a career as an officer in the Grenadier Guards, Charlie spent 17 years as the head of Absolute Return and HSBC Global Asset Management, managing more than £3 billion in client funds. He's known and respected as a specialist in gold, cryptocurrencies and momentum investing. In fact, he's made over 200 appearances as a guest expert on various financial television programmes. Now, we've all heard about the topic. Cryptocurrencies uh, are still officially not recognised, unregulated, wildly volatile and even unproven. There, there are also some concerns about what the currency is being used for, such as illicit goods and money laundering, but they, they none, nonetheless have attracted global interest. Are we now at the stage where we should be taking this seriously as an investment class? What, what, what is your view? I would think so. I think that uh, message should be loud and clear to people, whether you like them or not. They are here to stay. Crypto is here to stay. And yes, it's extremely volatile and there's some bad actors in certain parts of it. But you know the positive it's it's a, it's a it's a thriving space full of vibrant innovation all the cool kids uh, want to be there and the cool bright kids more importantly want to be there so if you're a young talented coder you're headed for crypto um, whereas you know pre 2008 maybe you were headed for the for the square mile um, into the financial service industry you're not going there anymore you're 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 going to crypto and so there's so many people coming into it and it's not just Bitcoin, it's all the many, many alternatives. And, you know, some of them have little function, but, but, but increasingly we're seeing more and more utility. And that's what really gets me excited, in, in, including things like gaming, computer gaming, um, whereby cryptos can be in, in, introduced into the whole, into the whole space and, and can have commercial, um, applications and you've got things like ethereum where you can create tokens on top of a token and many 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 of them and trade things like gold um, or property or, or whatever and and i think you know we're just building um, a new financial system where you can send value across the world in a millisecond which you can't do in the old world and you can do it faster and you can do it cheaper and you can do it in a secure manner and you can do it without interference so you can do it privately um, and, and all the sort of things that, you, that, that, that made money special in the good old days, the fact that it was um, that it was sort of independent and sound. And I think that you've got a lot of those principles at work in crypto, notwithstanding price volatility. And I've probably been talk, talking too long, but I'll say one more thing. And, and you, you mentioned cryptocurrencies. I think most of us have figured out by now they're not currencies, they're assets. Okay, so, so in, in mid-July, the, uh, the UK... Financial Conduct Authority announced that it was going to be spending £11 million on a digital marketing campaign to warn investors over the risks of putting their money into cryptocurrency. Does the asset, as you describe it, need to be regulated or can it sustain its growth regardless? Well, it can't be regulated. It's, trying to, it's a bit like trying to say you want to regulate oxygen or sunlight um, or the ocean. You just can't. Some things are even beyond the... Um, the, the, the reach of the FCA. I mean, unbelievably, there are things that the FCA can't possibly influence. I'm sure they don't think of the world that way. But, you know, I, I understand what they're trying to achieve. 
But I think that it's, a lot of it's backfiring because they keep banning all the products. So the way that interactive investor clients should be buying Bitcoin is through an ETF listed in Europe. And ideally, they should be listed in London. Why are they not in London? We should be leading this space. But they banned them all. They banned all these products. So people are then, they go off and buy Argo blockchain or MicroStrategy in the US, um, pay huge premiums. So if you buy MicroStrategy, you're paying $550 a share for, a, for, for $215 worth of Bitcoin. You're a muppet if you buy that stock, an absolute muppet. You're paying, you're paying two and a half times the price of Bitcoin to invest in Bitcoin. And that is purely a result of the regulators banning the right products, which are safe and good and well-priced and work. And so um, and 11, 11, and a half million, 11 million pounds of taxpayers' money for an education program. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that to me is a complete waste of uh, public money, if you ask me. I mean, it, it has been uh, described Bitcoin as a, a social media stock on steroids. But from what you're saying, there's there's obviously a, a rather more fundamental attraction. I think that's my line, actually, Richard. <laughs> so the observation was that if you go back over a decade, um, that that basically the correlation of crypto and social media stocks is is quite high, and and the evidence is that 2013 and 2017. And 2020 were all great years for crypto and social media, and 2014 and 2018, and and um, and perhaps perhaps the rest of this year might have been were, were soft periods. And um, for the two, if you think about it, it's you know the Bitcoin and so on is internet money. It comes from the internet. It's an extension of the internet. So the internet's having a crack at creating value, and it's going to succeed. Why wouldn't it succeed? It always succeeds. So, you know, to bet against this movement, even though it's crazy and volatile and all the normal criticisms, you know, it's it's the internet having a go at value creation. Don't bet against the internet. And indeed, another phrase that you've coined is, is one of a bold BOLD strategy in the past, namely Bitcoin plus gold. Could you explain to us where you were coming from with that strategy? Yeah. Well, if you believe the world's inflationary, because they print lots of money, and there's bottlenecks, you know, the Suez Canal clogs up, and then you, you know, you can't get um, various products from China and these sorts of things. Oil price rising, wage pressures, hiring people. Um, it all comes back to this idea that we think there's going to be um, the value of the pound in your pocket will be lower in the future, and that's kind of government policy because with all this debt, you kind of hope. The, the only way to get rid of it, because you can't pay it back, let's face it, that, that's, that would be ridiculous. So you've got to inflate it away. So this is kind of, government's always going to err on that side going forward. And I think the interesting thing about bold, Bitcoin plus gold, is that they're both inflation-sensitive assets because they're both scarce and they both have limited supply. So Bitcoin famously has 21 million Bitcoins uh, ceiling and, and, and gold, you know, we're at 200,000 tons, has been mined in history is the estimate. And, and, and the growth rate of that supply is, is roughly the same as, as, as the Bitcoin. So it's sort of 2% and falling. And so you've got two limited supply assets. And it just so happens that gold tends to do much better when the world's in trouble. And Bitcoin tends to do better when the world's um, all lovely and um, everyone's speculating and the market's roaring. So if you could hold two assets, which, which take it in turns to add value, then you've got really good, efficient diversification. And certainly the last decade of Bitcoin's young existence um, is telling us that it, well, that's what it wants to do. It's inflation sensitive. It tends to be strong. 
uh, when inflation around us is rising, and it also tends to do well uh, with animal spirits in the air. Gold, in contrast, is slightly different. It likes the inflationary environment, but it likes the panic. So you put these two together, and you've got this really lovely blend. And uh, you know, sort of financial poetry, as I call it. And uh, I, I guess, it, do we read anything into the likes of Goldman Sachs and Citigroup now trading cryptocurrencies? Is, is this a sign that the asset has actually arrived or is there a possibility they simply have a fear of missing out? Um, I think they don't care about crypto, but they care about their clients. And their clients are asking them to trade these things. And they say, why are you not doing it? I'm your client and I want you to do it. And they say, yes, sir. No, sir. Free bags, full, sir. So that's what the investment banks do. They 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 create products to help their their, their clients trade. Um, I think a lot of clients will have been getting more and more bored of traditional assets in recent years because you know sort of valuations are stretched and, and it's getting less and less convincing and in, in many many areas. But crypto comes along and it's all new and spangly and people get very excited about it. So there's big money. It's not just it's not just retail investors in crypto. There's big money in crypto and. Um, and the, the investment banks, their job is to provide services for their, for their for their customers. So that's what they're doing. I don't think they have. A, I don't think they necessarily have a view. Certainly, the Goldman Sachs piece, what was written recently from their investment committee, was was really quite a poor piece of research. Um, and and everything came back to all you should ever do is buy the S and P five hundred. You should ignore gold. You should ignore crypto. You should ignore everything basically apart from the S&P 500. I thought, well, that's not exactly an adventurous view on global <laughs> multilateral investing, that all we should ever do is buy the S&P 500 tracker fund, but so be it. And, and just picking up again on, on the bold uh, theme, you, obviously Bitcoin for the good times and gold stepping in when, when uh, investors are rather more concerned about life in general. Have you got any particular view on what part uh, of that pendulum we're on at the moment? Um, I think that we're probably going to go pro gold because I think we've had a lot of fun in the last year in markets. So since March, um, let's, let's remember what happened after March 2020, 2020. I mean, people were genuinely worried about obviously the virus, but, but the economic impact of the virus. And, um, and, and then in the second quarter, the market started to recover, but the bond yield stayed very low. So there, there was really very little. There was, there was, there was, there was money to be made in tech stocks because people were trading lockdowns, saying, "Well, sell railways and airlines and cruise ships and buy Zoom and Facebook and whatever else," and, and that's fine. But actually, the broad, high-risk tech trade wasn't really very strong at that point. That really came later in the year, um, and gold had been really strong after the COVID thing. So in the second quarter, gold was super strong. Went you know rallying all the way above two thousand dollars for the first time ever, and and then as the the animal spirits came back around October is when that kicked off, and we and, and that was the run up to the whole sort of um, GameStop those sorts of speculative crazy things going from Wall Street bets and all that which really kicked off towards the year end. Uh, gold started falling and Bitcoin started rising in, in in the last bit of the year, whereas in the middle of the year it was gold that was rising and Bitcoin wasn't going anywhere. So we've seen recently how this how this uh, counter move works, and then gold made its low a couple of months ago, which is exactly when Bitcoin made its high. So in April, um, Bitcoin sixty four thousand dollars. It's now thirty one thousand dollars. So it's halved since 
since that time. Um, and, 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 you know, gold went all the way down to 1700, but it's now up at 1800. So it's back on the way up. And certainly the fair, you know, I, me I measure the fair, the fundamental fair value for gold. And it's an all time high right now. And that's simply a case of the fact that bond yields are very low and inflation, inflationary pressures remain to the upside. So you'd expect gold to do really well in a, in a lowest interest rate environment that's got some inflation. And that's what policymakers want. So gold go up. And presumably, with your your vast experience as uh, as uh, an investor, um, you, you'd still be looking to um, have a, a mind to diversification. I mean, the, the old tradition, of course, of maybe I don't know, having five percent of your portfolio in gold or whatever figure you choose, five to ten percent. Do you, do you st you're still of the opinion, presumably, that diversification uh, of an individual's portfolio remains fairly key? Absolutely, it's the only free lunch you get in investing is diversification. Everything else is not free. And the point about diversification is not to own many of the same things which people feel they're diversified. You know, the classic example is if you own Shell and you also own BP, you haven't really reduced if you've reduced some risk because you know one of them could blow up and the other one doesn't blow up, for example, or one of them goes up ten times and the other one doesn't. You've reduced some risk in both directions by, by owning both, but basically they're so similar you haven't materially diversified your portfolio. Historically, you'd say, yes, have some bonds and some equities because they counter move. But of course, bonds own, uh, have very little value. So if something's not going to make make you money over a 10-year period, then why own it? Um, then you're just taking risk for the sake of it. So trying to find diversification now is getting harder. And that's why I think bold's interesting because it spices up gold it, and it definitely uh, makes it a hell of a lot less risky than owning Bitcoin. And um, and, and you know, the, the weighting we recommend is about 80% in gold and about 20% in Bitcoin. So it's, you know, you're basically buying gold with a bit of sawdust with a bit of magic dust on the top. Then elsewhere, you know, I think at the moment, diversification into emerging markets is probably a very, very good thing to do because, of course, they're risky, but they haven't, they haven't faced this whole developed world risk, this whole crazy debt pile that we've all got and this sort of zero interest rate thing following Japan from the 1990s. And so they're just different. So these young economies like Vietnam and, not, and sometimes they're not really young like Russia, but they're just different. You know, Russia's got lots of oil and the oil price is very likely to do well over the next few years. Um, and, and so I think to, to have some money in the West, fine, in the equity market, but also to have some money in emerging markets makes a lot of sense. So gold, Bitcoin, emerging markets, commodities, these sorts of things, and, um, and go easy on the bond market. That would be, that would be how, my thinking. Uh, finally, Charlie, I, I, I guess um, it's just something that, that's occurred to me and, and something that's very much a uh, flavour of the month at the moment, and that's ESG. Now, w would cryptocurrencies, by their very nature, uh, potentially discourage some investors on ESG grounds, do you think, or has a lot of the hype uh, simply been misreported? Well, it's a question that you can answer from many different angles because not all crypto is energy intensive. I assume that's the point you're, you're making about how much energy is consumed by this space. And Bitcoin is energy intensive by design. So they do this whole proof of work thing. It's very hard to mine and it gets harder. The more valuable Bitcoin becomes, the more, the harder it comes to, it comes to mine it on a supply and demand basis. And um, because more and more people are competing to, against each other to win Bitcoins. And so it's huge amounts of electricity um, required to, 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 to make a Bitcoin, but it is actually half what it was last April. So just in the last two months, it's already half 
globally. Um, the amount of electricity used on the Bitcoin network. But the rest of crypto is no worse than normal computing. You know, if you have proof of stake um, systems as opposed to proof of work, then you don't have this heavy mining happening in the background. And so it's, it's really no different from you know, Google or Facebook. But I don't think that, that could really be criticized. But I, but I think that you know, how much energy something uses is a freedom that we should all, we should all respect. And that is that the, 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 what you really want from, from mankind is not to use less energy, but it's to use much, much more than we currently do. So we all have much better living standards, but you want that energy to have no impact on the next generation's planet left behind. So if we had nuclear fusion that was really safe and clean, and if energy was infinite and cheap, then we should use as much as we possibly can. And so rather than we're, us doing all the hard work and breaking our backs, you know, machines do it for us. And, um, and, and that's really the point. That's productivity, longer lives, better education, better informed mortality. All of these things come back to, to energy. So you know, if you want a really nice planet, then you need lots of energy. And, and, and whose right is it to say that Bitcoin's a waste of energy? You know, maybe it's the future of the financial system. Maybe it's not. But if it's not, then you can say, okay, well, we, well, we tried. And, you know, the experimentation is very much part of, um, of how we evolve. And, and so, I, so I think it's pretty, it's pretty pious to say that, 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 um, you know, you shouldn't be wasting money, wasting electricity on crypto just because someone doesn't like it. I think you should be free to consume energy how we wish to, notwithstanding the fact we should love our planet too. Absolutely fascinating. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So uh, I have to thank you once again. That's that's Charlie Morris um, dispelling some of the myths that we've been hearing um, on, on the cryptocurrencies in general. So many thanks again for your time, Charlie, and for those valuable insights. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.